You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have a wonderful guest with me here, Janet Falk. Janet, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Sasha. Janet is a PR professional like no other. I've heard her speak on other podcasts, and the reason why Janet stood out so much is her approach to PR is very no-nonsense approach. Usually when you listen to PR people, it's a lot of confusing things, vague ideas. When I listened to Janet on other shows, it was very, very specific, very, very specific. So I am absolutely thrilled that you're here and our audience gets to listen to your ideas here today. I want to start off with something really basic. What is PR? PR is defined by the Public Relations Society of America as a strategic communications process that develops mutually beneficial relationships between an organization and its publics. So you have to think, Sasha, not only what is going to be mutually beneficial in speaking to another entity, but who are those publics? It's not only prospective clients. It's not only referral sources. It can be many other organizations and individuals that you want to keep in touch with because you can be helpful to them and they can be helpful to you. I know that you work with many attorneys. Let's use an example of, let's say, an estate planning attorney. How could an estate planning attorney use PR to help them grow their law firm? There's a few things that the person can do. I like to think, and maybe we'll get into this later, that there are five ways of getting business. So the first way is networking. So an estate planning attorney should be networking, and that means meeting and interacting with and keeping in touch with other attorneys who can be referral sources, financial advisors, and accountants, and also should be keeping in mind how he can be helpful to them because it's not a one-way street. Networking is each of you looking out for the interests of the others. So that's the first way that the attorney can be approaching and developing their practice is through networking. Now, I know this doesn't sound exactly like PR, but remember what we said, mutually beneficial relationships. A second way is through speaking. So here I am speaking on your podcast. You've heard me on other podcasts, but that's not the only avenue for speaking. There are webinars. There are opportunities for you to speak at the local economic development organization or other professional membership organizations. So if you have a strong networking tie to someone who's a financial planner or an accountant, you could be invited to speak to their professional group, right? Perhaps the two of you could partner on that. So that's networking, speaking. Then there's writing. As an estate planning attorney, you have the opportunity to share so much information. You could be developing checklists Here's all the things that you should do to make sure that you have planned for your child's college education should you, you know, come to an early demise. 
Or here's something that your elderly parents should be taking into account. So you can develop checklists, you can develop timelines, you can develop quizzes, you can develop a lot of information and make that available on your website so that other people can download it and share it with the person who will be directly affected. Maybe it's the individual or maybe it's a family member. Another aspect of writing is writing a column for a publication. So it could be a community newspaper. It could be the professional membership organization of which you are a member. And it could be your own newsletter. I believe everyone should have a newsletter. If you can't do it monthly, then do it quarterly. Then another aspect of writing is, you know, sharing what other people have written. Then you come to being active in the trade association of your target market. So if you're an estate planning attorney, then you might get involved with the local accounting group or the local financial planners because they are going to be dealing with the kinds of clients that you ultimately want to be dealing with. And being active doesn't mean just showing up. It means offering to organize a panel or offering your legal expertise, not only about estate planning, but maybe reviewing contracts that the organization might have for rental of space and so on. So now you have networking, number one, speaking, number two, writing, number three, being active in the trade association of your target, number four. And then the fifth way is to be magnifying all your activity online. So not only on your website, but also participating in activity and discussion on LinkedIn or on the Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever social platforms your audience is visiting. So I think you can see that there are a lot of ways that an estate planning attorney can be sharing their insight and reaching out and being a source of information so that other people, whether they are referral sources or potential clients or lapsed clients, will be seeing this information, will have access to it, and will be able to share it with others. And that's how you grow your practice. Donald, what aspect of that would be considered PR? Or is it all of it that would be considered PR? Well, if you're generally thinking that public relations is a strategic communications process to develop mutually beneficial relationships, then you know, all of that is part of your larger communications activity. Now, I'm not going to say you should only be in touch with the media. We haven't even touched upon that. Or, you know, you should only be on social media or you should only have a newsletter. It's all of these activities together. And my thought is that you should try all of them because you don't know yet where you're going to feel most comfortable and you don't know where you're going to get the payoff, where different audiences are going to see your information, hear your insights and learn about you and then want to be sharing that with other people, not only getting in touch with you directly. Got it. I am particularly interested in talking to media. Continue using the example of an estate planning attorney. How does an estate planning attorney get published in either major publications or local publications, wherever they can actually get that PR the way that I think of it in a more traditional sense, where you get published in publications that get a lot of viewership, a lot right. of eyeballs, a lot of attention. How do we do that? 
Right. So there's two ways to think about it. One is being a source for comment, and the other is offering written articles. So let's start with being a source for comment. Reporters are always looking for sources, and they're always looking for ideas. So here is how you can be the one that reporters call. You want to introduce yourself to a reporter in a professional way. And the tool that I use is called a media profile. So anyone who goes to my website, Janet L. as law, JanetLFALK.com, can look in the resources section or in the um, services section, and they'll see a link for a media profile. Now, what a media profile is, is not. It is not your bio. It is not a list of your credentials or the bar or associations that you're a member of, all the articles you've published and, and so on. No one cares about that. What a reporter cares about is the fact that you have insight into timely issues that people need to know more about. So say there's been a change in the law and states that are above a certain amount are going to be taxed differently and it states that are below a certain amount are going to be taxed differently than they were in the past. So this is something that your attorney can talk about. And what this person would do is they would develop a media profile with their contact information and the fact that they are available as a source to comment on this timely issue that individuals or business owners or corporate executives need to know more about. And they can give examples of what it is that they would say that people need to know about. Now, how do you figure out which reporters you want to send the media profile to? It's actually very simple. First, you can look at the major daily newspapers and weekly newspapers in your community. And in many instances, the byline of the reporter will indicate what their email address is. Or if it's online in the article, you can click on it, and oftentimes you'll get the email address right there. So that's one thing. A second thing is you can look for them on Twitter. A lot of reporters have their email address in their bio on Twitter. And Sasha, why do you think they put the email address right there in their bio? They want to be contacted. They want to be contacted, exactly. They don't want you pitching your idea that you're a source to talk about tax law changes to the entire universe. They want to be exclusively the one that you're going to contact. So they make it easy for you. Now, if it's a magazine, say it's the local business journal, like Crane's New York Business or Chicago Business or something like that, you can look on what's called the masthead. And that is the list of all the reporters and the editors. And it gives their email address and the subject area that they cover. So if they cover financial services or if they cover seniors, then those are the people that you want to talk to. And finally, if you can't find their email address in the article, if you can't find it on the masthead, if you can't find it on the Twitter bio, look and see if the reporter has a dedicated website. Many reporters have their own website. They would have their name, you know, Sasha Burson, and you could look up and they would probably have contact page on their website so that you could get in touch with them directly through their website. So you come up with their media profile, which explains why a reporter needs to talk to you now, why you are a credible and reliable and accessible source, because you have this hot idea, you make your contact information immediately available. 
And then you send this by email to reporters that you have identified who either work at local business publications, local newspapers, or industry publications, and so on. I would say, don't aim for the Wall Street Journal right away. You want to work your way up the food chain. It's very difficult to get into those major publications. So start at the lower tier, what's local to you or specific to your industry, and then work your way up the food chain as you become more known and as you yourself will become more comfortable speaking with reporters. Because it's not the easiest thing to speak to reporters, even if you are a very experienced attorney. So that's about being a source for comment. But there's another way to get in the news, and that is to publish an article. You can think about how this tax law is going to affect certain kinds of people or certain kinds of businesses, and you can propose an article. Now, I always recommend proposing an article and not writing it. Now, let's say, Sasha, you wrote an article and 600 words, and it talks about this tax law change. And you send it off to the local business publication, Cranes New York Business, or what have you, and they say, oh, Sasha, this is so interesting, but we only accept 500 words. So you say, all right, I'm going to send it to Business Insider New York because they'll probably take it. So you get in touch with them and they say, oh, Sasha, this is terrific stuff. But could you also talk about this point and that point and we'll give you 750? Well, what are you going to do? You've got 600 words. Are you going to slice it to 500? Or are you going to do major surgery and amplify it to 750? Now, if you would take my approach and say, I'm very interested in speaking to your audience about this hot change that's recently taken place in the tax law. And here's three to five sentences. And now I'm going to give you three more bullet points of how I'm going to explain this is going to affect these kinds of people with these kinds of income and these kinds of estates. Please, now that you've seen my paragraph and you've seen my bullet points, tell me what is the word count and what is your deadline? And I will write it to that length and get it to you on time. Because now you are filling a hole in the publication. The reporter or the editor wants to cover this story. They may not have a source available to take care of it right away. And you're filling their need and you're going to give it to them in the proper 500, 750, or even 1,000 words. So those are two ways of approaching getting in the news. One is to be a source for comment, and the other is to propose an article. Super interesting. So to me, this is a fascinating subject because most attorneys never get published. We have so many law firm clients, so many lawyers there. There is one who is terrific at PR. His name is Ken Allen. He runs a very sizable PI firm, and he does big cases with catastrophic injuries or unfortunate loss of life. And every time there is the case that he takes on, he gathers the press corps of Chicago, who are based in Chicago. Reporters come to him with all their equipment. He has a professional backdrop and the stage setup and the whole gamut. And he talks about this case. And then when he wins the case or settles the case, it's the same thing, right? He once again gathers all the reports and all of this goes on the news. He has connections that he leverages time and time and time and again. Here's the big why Ken Allen does this. And here's why you should do this as well. Even if you do not 
do those murky cases, like he settled with the city of Chicago for $14 million a couple of years ago, right? In a state planning attorney would not have those things, right? But here's the reason why you should get published from a marketing standpoint, from getting more business standpoint. Imagine a prospective client coming to your website. And today, tremendous amount of people, when they need a lawyer, will go to Google and start looking for a lawyer. According to Clear, I think it's like 78% of all people start their search online. Rest assured, they're not going to look at just one website. They will look at a dozen websites. And if you cover up the logo in the left-hand corner, they're all going to look very alike. If you can feature on the website above the fold that you have been featured in this publication and then this publication and then this publication and this publication, it gives you that leg up above the competition. In the sea of sameness, and this is what people see, consumers see when they're looking at for lawyers, anything that gives you that leg up increases probability of you actually getting that business. Otherwise, people have no reason to choose you over everyone else. So anything that you can do could be a tremendous boost to your revenue. Am I on the right track with this or is there more? You're on the right track because this is considered a third-party endorsement. Mm -hmm. And this is considered social proof. Mm -hmm. Enough people took this source seriously that they wanted to follow up and learn more about their case and consider what are the implications, not only for this case, but going forward for individuals or for business owners or, or for corporations. So you're right that you can distinguish yourself by sharing the fact that you have been published or you have been quoted or you have spoken at events and so on. So I definitely encourage that. Mm -hmm. But I want to point out that I recently saw a website of a law firm and they had a news column. So I go to the page that has news and the most recent item was 2016. And we're recording this in 2022, so it's been a good six years. Right. So what does that mean? It means, one, they're not paying attention. And two, they haven't done anything really notable since then to get in the news. I would argue that they would be better served by removing that reference altogether until they have something that's more recent. Because when you control the real estate of your website, everything should be pointing to as you say, Sasha, why you? Why you are an accomplished attorney, you can do this for your clients, and you stand ready to help the next person. And anything that invites a question, like what, I haven't done anything since 2016, is not going to support how successful you are as a practitioner. 100%. And once again, just based on my significant experience working with law firms, vast majority of law firms. And that's why I was so fascinated to get an opportunity to interview Pay very little attention to PR or none whatsoever. Majority do not pay any attention to PR. And I always say that anything that you can do to show up slightly different, slightly better than your competition will lead to better outcomes. But I think that anyone who is listening to this probably has a couple of objections to this. Number one, but this is going to take a lot of time. And But I did not have anything newsworthy to talk about. You can offer yourself as a source for comment on other people's cases. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be on your own case. Can I give you an example, Sasha? Yes, please. 
So I'm sure you remember the Boston Marathon bombing yes. case. And that was a terrible story. And during the trial process, most of the commentary was coming from Boston-based attorneys. Now we come to the day of the verdict. And everyone is waiting to hear as if we don't know what the verdict might be. And I found a news story and it quoted an attorney from Miami. Now, how did he get into the news story? Okay. It turns out that this attorney from Miami was a former federal prosecutor. He had tried terrorism cases. And so I have no doubt but that he contacted the reporters who were covering the case and said, when it comes to the verdict, I am available to speak with you. Here's my phone number, here's my this number, here's my email, here's my Twitter account, what have you. And if it's guilty, it means this. If it's not guilty, it means that, be in touch with me. So here you have an attorney completely out of the jurisdiction in Miami, introducing himself to reporters saying, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I've tried terrorism cases. I am prepared to talk to you. And that is how you can get in the news, even when it's not your case, and even when you're not local. 100%. What about the fact that this is work? I have to reach out to them. This is a lot of work. You don't have to do everything yourself. You can hire a public relations professional to help you. That's what I do. No one is their own attorney. No one is their own electrician. So you can hire someone else. When you think about it, it would be more expedient for you to hire a public relations consultant who knows what they're doing and can do it faster and more powerfully than what you can do when you teach yourself the ropes. Makes perfect sense. And I, as a marketing professional, would say that there is a way to measure an ROI on that investment. The ROI would not be measurable on day one, but over a course of a year, let's suppose that your website gets X number of visitors per month. Let's call it 2,000 visitors per month. And it's been fairly steady flow of traffic over the last year. Fluctuates a little bit, but let's call it 2,000 visitors a month. On those 2,000 visitors a month, you get a conversion rate of 5%. So you get about 100 leads. And out of those 100 leads, you close every fifth person. So you get 20 clients per month. Once you hire a PR professional, over time, you will start getting featured in various publications. Those various publications, every publication today has something online. When they publish either a quote from you or a whole article from you, they're going to put your name in there. They're going to put your law firm name in there. They're probably going to have a backlink pointing back to your website. That backlink may be a no-follow backlink, but it still provides us a technical term for the industry. So let's not spend much time on that. But it will provide you what we refer to as SEO juice. So people will read the article and some of them will actually click on that link. You will be seeing increase in that traffic. And over time, you will start increase, seeing an increase in leads. And over time, that increase in leads will start showing up on your income statement. You will be making more money. So within 12 months, that investment in your PR efforts should be paying very nice dividends. But people have to be reasonable. They have to approach this as I'm like, this is not going to have a payoff like day one or week one or even month one. But it is just yet another avenue to grow your law firm. And everyone who is looking to make more money and attorneys find it so fascinating. And I cannot like talk enough about this. Incredibly smart people 
But business acumen is not something that's taught in law schools. So many of them are so concerned with preserving whatever cash flow they have instead of being concerned with increasing the cash flow. And I always tell them, here's a checklist. Like if you do this, your top line will grow, your bottom line will grow. If you do this, your top line will grow, your bottom line will grow. If you do this, PR is just one of those things. It is an investment that if you do this right, over a course of a year, it's going to be absolutely free and it will be yielding a nice dividend. You just have to decide that we're going to do it. And I think you probably put together plans for your clients. Can you talk about how you work with your clients? Sure. I want to go back to one thing you said, Sasha, which is so crucial to this discussion. And that is, this is an investment. It is not an expense. If you don't invest in your law firm, who is going to make that investment? Not your clients, not your associates, not your competitors, not the bar association. You have to invest in your business. And sometimes you have to spend money to make money. With your permission, I'm going to borrow what you just said. Nobody's going to invest into your business but you. Exactly. Most lawyers are very sheepish when it comes to growing their business because I think the background is really not in business. Yet it's probably one of very few professions, if not the only one, where majority of lawyers are self-employed. I do not know of any other profession where 67% of everyone in the field is self-employed, but there are like zero or close to zero business courses that they get to take. And because of that, everyone is playing defense where the top 3% or so play offense. So when you look at like BLS statistics, and the last one I looked at was 2020, median income for attorneys was $122,000, which is not a little amount of money. But if you live like where I live in Chicago or New York City or many other places in the country, it is not a lot of money. Yet you look at the top 3% and they're like 500,000 to infinity. Mm -hmm. How do they do it? They play offense. And APR is part of that offense. You look at like PI attorneys, right? Personal injury attorneys. They do a ton of PR. You look at other high profile criminal defense attorneys. They do a ton of PR. It is just one of the things that they do to get their personal income up, 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 up year over year. Another interesting thing is that those who make a lot of money in the field, I find that, that most of them really stop practicing law. They understand that as a practitioner of law, your income is going to be kept out. Do not quote me on this. I read it somewhere else. Your income will be kept out at $450,000 max. You simply cannot bill anymore. Yes, if you do PI work from time to time, you will win this tremendous case. But for all the other years, you may be going hungry or making that $122,000 a year. The top income earners in the profession, they're once again, they're so like focused on how do we make more money? How do we make more money? How do, and we'll, they'll pass down the work to associates. They will not do the work themselves because lawyering pays this much and being an executive in your law firm pays this much. So talk to me, how do you work with your clients and how do people connect with you? Okay. So I work with my clients in two ways. One is on a retainer basis. So they contract with me for say 10 hours a month. And during that time, I will be advocating for them. I'll be introducing them to reporters. I'll be advising them on their newsletter, helping them to place articles. I will help them to polish their website so it's more visitor-friendly. It's not me, 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 but how I can help you, you, you. And I will help them with their LinkedIn profile and their LinkedIn activity. 
Sometimes I help them with speaking engagements in that I review their slide decks and help them deal with that. So that's on a retainer basis. But then any and all of these services are available on a project basis. So, for example, someone contracted with me just in recent weeks because they had filed litigation and they wanted to expose the defendant and the way that they had operated the company very poorly in a breach of contract. So one company sold a division to another company and the second company didn't keep up with the terms. So now they filed litigation in order to ensure compliance and get the company back because of so on. So I was able to help them and introduce them to four reporters at different publications who follow different sectors of the industry. And now this is putting pressure on the defendant and their counsel so that they have to deal with the situation because now they're getting a bad name in the industry and people will want to do business with them. So that was on a, on a project basis. Now we can be on a retainer basis, so many hours a month, or on a project basis to do a discrete activity. On a retainer basis, is there a plan that you follow and do your clients know what that plan is? Well, it depends on where the person is right now. In some instances, they have a well-developed marketing plan, like an elder law firm that I'm dealing with here in New York. And so they've asked me to help them with certain writing projects and certain publishing projects. But in other cases, it's someone who really needs to revamp everything because they haven't been paying much attention. You can't go from zero to 60. You have to go from zero to 10 and then from 10 to 20 and, and so on in the easy way. Super interesting. Any remarkable case studies that you could share with us like of your clients who have hired you and like a year later, like what outcomes they got to see? Oh, there's one case I love to talk about, Sasha, and this is an employment case. So it was someone who alleged sexual harassment. And what happened was the attorney contacted a friend of his and said, do you know anything about press releases? I have a big case here. And the friend said, oh, you should talk to Janet Falk. She'll take care of you. So that was how I got that client. It was a referral from another attorney contact. Now, in this particular instance, it took place in the broadcasting industry. And I know you're horrified to think that there could be sexual harassment in the television broadcasting industry. That never happens. That never happens. So, uh, so what happened in this case was I spoke to the client and I said, the case is going to be filed on Monday. This is Friday. I want you to take down all your social media accounts. Your name will be in the public eye and people will go after you on social media. So the client did this and the case uh, was going to be filed on Monday. So I called reporters on Friday and I said, I have a case. It involves a major player in your industry. It's going to be filed very soon. I can't tell you the name, but I know you will be interested in it. This is my name, Janet Falk. You can expect to hear from me. So on Monday at 9 o'clock, the case was filed in Southern District of New York. And at 11 o'clock, we issued a press release. And in the press release, it said allegations of sexual harassment. And it named the actors on the show and the show and the cable network and the production company, and the parent company of the cable network. You know them, Sasha, Viacom. Mm -hmm. 
And in the press release, we had a link to the complaint because we wanted to make sure that people would be able to read the complaint, which had graphic descriptions of these allegations. So that went out at 11 o'clock, at which point I called my broadcast media contacts again. And I said, I called you on Friday. Now I can tell you this is the case, allegations of sexual harassment against this one, that one, and Viacom. So now at one o'clock, there is a news story on the website Broadcasting in Cable. Allegations of sexual harassment at Viacom and names all the other defendants. So now time passes and it's five o'clock. The employment attorney calls me and he says, Janet, I just got off the phone with defense counsel. We're going to initiate settlement talks. Now, Sasha, nine o'clock a.m., they filed the case. And before he left the office, defense counsel called to talk about a settlement. Okay. So what do you think happened between one o'clock, the news story on broadcasting and cable, and five o'clock? What I think happened is sponsors who advertised on the show and on the network saw the news story and became very concerned. And they contacted the network and Viacom and said, What is this about allegations of sexual harassment? We're looking at our advertising budget. And so the general counsel at Viacom, in my imagination, contacted the associate general counsel and said, make this go away. So how many times does that happen? Same day you file litigation, defense counsel wants to talk about a settlement. I've never heard of such a case. I know. It should always work like that, right? It should always work. It doesn't. But in that case, it did. That is a fantastic story. What about any case that is of you working with a smaller law firm where there's no murky, no like loud publicity case, and you help them grow through PR? I would go back to what I said about, you know, the five ways of getting business. Mm -hmm. And I would point to some of the essentials that a law firm should have. So there are three things that I think are essential. The first is your website. Everyone has a website. As you mentioned earlier, that's the first thing that anyone is going to do. They're going to look at your website. So you want to make sure that your website is up to date. It doesn't look like it's the wrong format for what sophisticated users are accustomed to viewing now. You want to make sure that it's reader friendly and it's going to have a focus on you, what you, the reader, are going to be most interested in. You're going to have case studies where you give examples of things that you've done so that people can say, oh, that's similar to my situation. Or you want to have a list of industries that you've worked in so that people will know that you're familiar with their industry and their business and the kind of issues that they're dealing with. You want to have testimonials so that people will say, you know, working with this law firm was great. They were always communicative and they got the job done. And you want to also list that you have spoken at different events and that you've published articles, you've been quoted in the news. Here's your periodic newsletter, whether it's monthly or quarterly. So all of this is going to give a full picture of who you are as a firm, who your individual attorneys are, how you've been successful with certain kinds of matters in specific industries, and you have the social proof of being quoted in the news and having testimonials. 
So your website being current and accessible and addressing this whole wealth of information is the first step that people should be taking into account. Now, your second step is what I call your database of contacts. Everyone has what I call a gold mine of 5,000 contacts. There are so many people that you know as an attorney. There are the people that you went to law school with. There are the people that were at your previous firm. There are the people that are on the other side of a transaction, people on the other side of litigation. If you're a member of a bar association, think of all the people that are also members of the bar association. Have you contacted the ones that have a practice similar to yours or ones whose practice aligns with yours so that you could get to know each other better and be referral sources to each other? And another thing about your database is that you can go through and categorize all the people that you know. You can categorize them as we have a strong relationship or we have a medium relationship or we don't have much of a relationship, but I want to keep this person in mind for my own reasons. So you categorize them by ABC. Mm-hmm. Then you categorize them by number. So the first one is someone who can give you business. The second one is someone who maybe can't give you business right away, but they can influence you getting business from them. The connectors. And then the third one is someone you just want to keep around. So now you have classified everyone by strong, medium, or weak, mm-hmm. ABC, and you have classified everyone by one, they can give you business, two, they can influence giving you business, or three, they're just in the pile. So you take your A1, strong and can influence business, your B1, medium, and can give you business. You take those which have you know the most possibility, and then you make two phone calls a day. So you get in touch with these people, and you just chat with them. Just raise the flag. Just say, you know, I saw you posted on LinkedIn the other day, and I was asking myself, well, what about this? Or maybe I don't entirely agree. Or your name came up in conversation with somebody else, and I wanted to see what's new in your practice. Or I saw you published an article about X and Y, and I'd like to talk with you more about it. I'm interested in learning more about the subject. So you get in touch with these people who are strong or medium connections, people who have the ability to give you business or to influence getting you hired, and you have a conversation with them. And if you have to, you leave them a message and you say, I'll be in my office for the rest of the afternoon. So then they have more of an impetus to call you today. So you've refreshed and invigorated your website. You've amassed your 5,000 contacts in your gold mine, who may be people who served on a bar association committee with you or people who you have somehow engaged with on a professional level. And then the third thing that you should do is as I mentioned before, have a newsletter. Whether you do it monthly or quarterly, you should have a newsletter. When you have a newsletter, you control the distribution and it's not subject to LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter and their algorithms, which are always changing. But when you have a newsletter, then you control who's going to see it and how often. And it's not very hard to write a newsletter. 
You can talk about best practices. You can offer a download of information that's on your website. You can talk about another case that's in the news. You can talk about lessons learned from working with a particular client and so on. And people will read your newsletter. If you get a 25% open rate, that's terrific. And even if they don't read it, they saw your name, it went under their nose, and they either read it or they stored it or they deleted it, but they will be trained so that they will look for your newsletter the next time it comes. Yeah. So those are three things that I think everyone should have in mind, which is a revamped and up-to-date website that has plentiful information and social proof. They should have an extensive database of contacts who they should be in touch with on a regular basis, and they should have a newsletter. All makes perfect sense. Thank you so much for sharing this. Janet, how do people connect with you? No, my website is Janet L S Law F-A-L-K.com, Janet L-Fault.com. And I have a monthly newsletter, so people can subscribe to that. I am active on LinkedIn. I post almost every day, occasionally on Twitter and other platforms. And the five ways of getting business that I mentioned earlier, that's an ebook available for $9.99 on my website. Awesome. Janet, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you for inviting me, Sasha. Good luck. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.